Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers return to the Capitol to address the governor's education budget bill, veto, and other matters. Then, nearly two weeks after soaring highs in COVID-19 case numbers, lagging indicators like hospitalizations and ICU occupancy are catching up to the hospital system. We hear how the state's only Tier 1 trauma hospital is preparing. Plus, the CDC and Health Department visit Holmes County for a widespread community testing initiative. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Lawmakers are expected to return to the Mississippi Capitol today to handle some unfinished business. The legislature adjourned adjourned early last month, sending a number of bills to the desk of Governor Tate Reeves for signature. Reeves would end up vetoing a number of bills, including the education budget bill, now at the center of a lawsuit between lawmakers and the governor. Leaders reserved six days of the regular session to return in order to appropriate the remainder of the CARES Act funds. But soon after dismissing, at least 40 Capitol personnel tested positive for COVID-19, creating uncertainty as to when members would be able to return to address the series of vetoes. Reeves has said he would not call the legislature back into session until he feels it's safe. I am not willing to play political games at the expense of the public health and safety of the men and women who go into that building across the street. I don't think that it makes sense at this time to bring them back. Robert Johnson is the Democratic leader in the House. He tells our Desiree Frazier the lawmaker's return is necessary right now. I think we have, you know, important business to do. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it may seem a little early, but as long as we come back with the requisite precautions and uh, safety measures in place uh we shouldn't be in there any more than a day maybe no more than three or four hours and and and, you know we can do our work and get out what business do you want to see addressed during this um 
uh, session, I guess you would say, because it's not over. Well, I, I, you know, the things I'd like to see addressed, and we want to address all of them in just one day. But uh, I think the uh, addressing uh, health needs and all around the state, but especially in the poor and uh, underserved communities, I think we still have some work to do there. Uh, I think we need to revisit the uh, small business grant program. I think, uh, and, and we made it too restrictive. And I think we need to address the, uh, the education bill. And I'd like to see us address the criminal justice reform bill in terms of overriding the veto. And I, I'm hopeful that I know we'll do at least one of those and hopefully we'll get to, uh, both of those before the year's out. How do you feel about the uh, veto by the governor of some line items in the education bill? Well, I think it's illegal and I think it's un- unconstitutional. Uh, that's been, that's been borne out in, in, in cases before under when Governor Fordyce tried to do it and when Governor uh, Musgrove tried to do it. And, uh, I would think that the, that the governor would know that. Uh, but certainly uh, I think the case law uh, speaks to the fact that that is, is not allowed. But I also think that it, it, it invades the legislative process. We do. We spend a great deal of time and effort working together, negotiating and, and writing legislation. If we were just to allow governor to just line item a bill, essentially he would be doing the job of the legislature. That's not his job. And that's not what the Constitution recognized. So I, I think that for the most I just think it's it's illegal. And as a matter of principle, we have to address that issue. And I think it was the wrong thing to do. I mean, the bills that the, that the governor vetoed almost all passed with almost unanimous votes. Some of them were unanimously. And I think that uh, it ignores the work that the that the, uh, the the legislature have done, which is you know which is why you don't have line item veto because we do that kind of work. And so um, I just think that uh, it's important for us to come back and do our job and do it quickly and and, and safely and and uh, take care of the urgent needs of the people of the state of Mississippi. There does appear to be some contention brewing um, between the governor and uh, legislators. Uh, you had earlier this year, the controversy over who would manage the CARES Act money. You have the vetoes. Now you have the um, the House suing the governor for line item vetoes. And yeah. the governor had talked about uh, calling a special session, but waiting and the leadership of the House and Senate moving forward to bring lawmakers back. Well, uh, it, look, uh, this is the first year of a new session. Uh, you know, the governor uh, apparently has some ideas about how he wants to govern. Uh, we have some of us have been there long enough to have governed the, the way we know how to govern in terms of being legislators. And, it, you know, and, and coupled with the fact that we've it's been an extraordinary year in terms of the crises that we've had to face. Uh, I just think it's, it's work. I just think it's the first year of it working itself out. And I, I think uh, that's you, you sort of you know, get all of the stumbling blocks out of the way. And I, I anticipate a much smoother session next year. Representative Robert Johnson, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anytime. Republican Senator Dean Kirby, President Pro Tempore, says they'll take up the governor's line item veto in the education bill and pass a budget for the Department of Marine Resources. I do know that we want to come back in and correct whatever needs to be corrected uh, and make sure that our teachers are taken care of. I don't think any intent was to ever uh, 
ever, uh, and I'm certainly not the chairman, uh, Senator Hobson's the chairman, but I can tell you he never, ever would do anything to harm our teachers. How did these agencies operate without a budget? Well, they have enough money uh, to, you know, of course, we we appropriated money for for the year. Uh, they also, DMR is an example, uh, uh, DMR has some federal money. So, I mean, they have some money for a while, uh, but that money is running out. And so, I mean, they don't have enough money for a year, that's for sure. The governor uh, uh, was holding off on calling a special session, saying that lawmakers needed to recover from the outbreak at the legislature uh, in June, the end of June. Um, do you think there seems to be some issues brewing maybe between the governor and the legislature on how to proceed to get these budgets taken care of? Well, I don't know that there's any issue. I, I just know that probably the speaker and the lieutenant governor knows the health uh, of each individual senator or house member probably more so than the governor would. So because they're in contact just weekly or daily. Uh, so I, I would think, and of course, we certainly don't want anyone coming to the Capitol uh, that that's ill. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had in the Senate, we've been very fortunate. I think we've had maybe two senators, uh, possibly three is all that have had the uh, coronavirus. So, We've been very lucky there. Now we had, of course, the lieutenant governor had it and was very ill and it's totally recovered and ready to work. Coming up nearly two weeks after soaring highs in COVID-19 case numbers, lagging indicators like hospitalizations and ICU occupancy are catching up to the hospital system. We hear how the state's only tier one trauma hospital is preparing. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And of course, all of MPB's other great podcasts are there too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's seven-day rolling average of coronavirus infections is trending down following a month of the state's highest rates of community transmission. But the data suggests the worst could still be yet to come for those lagging indicators like hospitalizations, ICU occupancy, and ventilator utilization, all of which remain at or near their highest levels. Dr. Luann Woodward is the Vice Chancellor of Health Services at the University of Mississippi Medical Center the state's sole Tier 1 trauma facility. She tells our Michael Guidry those record high case numbers from two weeks ago are just starting to manifest in the hospital data. It was around the end of July, the last 10 days or so of July, where we saw those really high case numbers, 1,600, 1,700, 1,400. And I think that it takes a week or two after those high case numbers hit for us to then really feel the impact on the hospitalization side, and then a week or two after that to really see the impact in our death rate numbers. So I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of the impact of the high case numbers that we saw back those last 10 days or so of July. 
We hear from from State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs pretty regularly through the the press conferences he does with the governor. He constantly is giving us updates on how the hospital system's doing as far as the physical resources are concerned, ICU beds, ventilators. One thing that we're hearing a lot coming from from at least your hospital now is the human resource side of of what this strain is like. What can you tell us about the staff and the human resource behind fighting this disease? So, you know, when we first got we're preparing for and starting to see the initial influx of patients from this pandemic. The adrenaline was high. The energy was very high. There, you know, it was, it was sort of an all hands on deck mentality and this is going to be tough and it's going to be hard. We'll have a surge of patients. We will give it everything we've got and then we'll be on the other side of it and we'll recover. What's happened is that surge I feel like it's really just now coming. I mean, we're in the middle of it right now. So it has taken longer than we thought. The uh, initial adrenaline rush associated with everything we had to do with this pandemic has worn off. And people are still just as committed. They are just as passionate. They are just as proud of where they work and what they do. But they are tired and they are weary and and they are um, fatigued. And, and part of it is we don't know the end point. You mentioned this being really the beginning of, of those high case numbers catching up to us. And you've also said that it's hard to know when there's an end. We're approaching school openings. We know that some school districts have opted to delay. Uh, what is the level of concern knowing that your, the hospital system is just now seeing the influx of those you know, mid-July cases, are you worried that a second wave could possibly come once the virus begins transmission in school communities? I am. You know, as much as anybody, I really believe that the children and the the teens should be back in school. I'm absolutely 100% in favor of them being in school. However, what I worry about is that if they start school now, while we're still in a place where our numbers are in, on the incline, our case counts, our hospitalizations, our deaths, we are not at a point where we have seen a consistent leveling off or a decline. I think we're still in the incline part of the phase. If we send everybody back to school now, what I worry about is that there will be an increase in what we know is already happening in the community. We know that we are having widespread community spread of the virus. And if we have the, the children back in school and we try to have fall sports and all of the things that we desperately want to do and that we enjoy and are some of the best parts of our lives, that will put the, the school children, it will put the parents, it will put the teachers in an environment where it is just easier to spread the virus when people are gathered in groups like that. So I worry about them going back before we as a state get to a point where we're seeing numbers going in the right direction consistently. Over the last, I guess you can say, four or five days, at least recently, the, 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 the rolling seven-day average is a little bit lower than it was you know, two or three weeks ago. We've seen some... Uh, efforts from state officials to mandate mask wearing. Uh, We now have a statewide mask mandate. Are those measures 
are they working? And if so, what do we need to continue to do to maybe get this trend continuing on a downward trajectory? It is very encouraging that the rolling um, numbers of the new cases um, reported have started or drifting down a little bit. That is encouraging. Until we get to a point where we consistently see numbers declining, I don't think we should declare victory. I think we're still at a point where we are still very much in this battle and in this fight. It is encouraging to see numbers that don't look as bad as they did a week or two ago. That is very encouraging. And I think that what we have seen in the last couple of weeks, and certainly of late with the governor's mask mandate, is that more people are wearing masks. Two months ago in the summer, if I had to go to Kroger, it could be very possible that I was the only person in that grocery store wearing a mask. Now you go in the grocery store and most people do have on a mask. That will make a difference. I do think it will take a little bit of time for that to really have the impact that we want it to. I've been very pleased. I was very pleased that the governor issued a mask mandate, and I've been very pleased that just what I have seen um, out in the state, it looks like people are complying with that more now. That is what it will take for us to get on the other side of this thing. Dr. Woodward, is there anything else that we need to know about how this, where the state is in its currently in its battle against this virus? Well, as I said earlier, we are still very much in the battle. Um, we cannot declare victory with, you know, a week's worth or whatever it's been of, of wearing a mask. I think we have still got to do the mask wearing, the hand hygiene, the social distancing, you know, avoid social gatherings and all of those things. We've got to do that consistently, I think, for some, for some more time. And I wish I knew to tell you a month would do it or six weeks will do it. I'm not sure. I don't know. But for some time until we see the numbers really trending consistently in the right direction and we can feel like we've turned the corner. Dr. Luann Woodward is the Vice Chancellor of Health Affairs at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Woodward, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Coming up, the CDC and Health Department visit Holmes County for a widespread community testing initiative. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Holmes County is a major hotspot for the coronavirus in Mississippi, despite having a relatively small population. Now, a partnership between the Mississippi Department of Health, CDC, National Guard, and University of Mississippi Medical Center is working to test every resident in the town of Lexington for the coronavirus. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says he hopes this focused testing initiative can slow the spread of the virus by catching asymptomatic carriers. What we're trying to do is, uh, is bring resources to communities where we can actually test everybody, regardless of symptoms or exposure, trying to figure out who has it, uh, trying to make sure that we get those results back in a really quick manner so that we can then inform folks and, and they know what they need to do 
and then also do that sort of quick response case investigation, contact tracing that is really that foundational element of public health that we've been unable to do broadly just because of the magnitude of the cases and the lab issues. So we're trying to control all those variables so that we can be more interventional. What about Lexington uh, that spoke to you that says we need to te- we need to focus on this community and help reduce the impact? Well, um, Lexington is an, and, and Holmes County itself ha- has been a pretty big hot spot for this for the state. You know, off and on throughout the pandemic, um, it's also a good size for us to start. Right, so um, trying to learn as we go through it. This is something we'd like to do for other communities um, as as we sort of learn how we proceed. Good proximity. Um, good support from the local leaders, and, and also a lot of cases. So there's a lot in there. The other thing that we're offering, which is unique, is if people so desire, we're offering free antibody testing. And that's been very popular, so people want to know if they have antibodies, and we'll try to continue to offer that if we do this again. So what are the goals? Are the goals to lower the spread of disease here in Lexington specifically? And then uh, what will that look like? Yeah, our, our goal is to try to um, you know, pretty quickly identify who's, who's going to be contagious uh, get those folks isolated so that we can really drive down the transmission within the community. It'll be a really important thing to do right now as far as the schools are concerned because if we can identify also everybody who might be interacting with the school, whether it's a parent or a student, it'll be an opportunity to kind of give them a chance to stay in school and be successful with, uh, with their educational programs. And so lastly, um, you know, looking forward, what, do you, what impact do you think this is going to have on the community, uh, not just here in Lexington but in Holmes County? Well, we, we, we really think that if we can successfully identify a lot of folks who don't know that they're infected or contagious, that we can really sort of, you know, trim off those future generations of transmission. And not only would it help in the short term, but probably in the long term, because if we can sort of get ahead of it a little bit, we're really excited. This is also something that um, we're, we're doing in, in collaboration with CDC. This actually was something that uh, Dr. Redfield called me about a couple weeks ago in and said, hey, you know, we think this might be a good idea, and we think Mississippi is the right place to do it, and that your team is the right ones to, to, to make it happen. I did want to ask about the CDC. Um, what, is their, what is their health assistance in this process, and uh, why do you think it's important to have that, uh, that backup? Well, you know, they, um, they've been really more of uh, intellectual support right now um, and, and hope to figure out if we can translate this to multiple communities, even larger communities. So, um, you know, really, we, we appreciate them being with us and, and look forward to maybe engaging them, uh, you know, more extensively as far as, like, resources. But, you know, right now we've got our National Guard team. They're the ones carrying the, carrying the heavy, heavy weight on this, making it work. And we've got our Department of Health folks. Um, we've got UMC backing us up in the lab. And, of course, the Mississippi State Public Health Lab. Got a great team doing great work. Mississippi going to see more of these kind of initiatives in the future? Well, if, if it seems to work well, I would say yes. Speaking with our Kobe Vance, Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer of Mississippi. Deborah Mabry is a Holmes County supervisor. She worries residents haven't practiced appropriate caution and is encouraging friends to get tested. I think here since the virus started, maybe we haven't taken it serious as we should have, but we're still not practicing social distancing. We're still gathering for events such as horse shows, other family gatherings, and things such as that. And we've even had several deaths here, so I thought maybe when the people, we would have the deaths, that that would shock everybody into reality that this is real. So maybe it's the problem here we don't believe it's real. Maybe that's the problem because a lot of people are asystematic. They don't get sick. They are able to continuously be at home quarantined but still feeling well. Now, the opposite of some, they are getting sick. 
So in our district, we've even had some situations here as that, but the people, thank God, most of them in the area that I was associated with, they're well now. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that they're testing out here, they're trying to track, they're trying to test every person in the whole city. Um, what does that make you feel? That makes me feel real great that uh, they're here doing such. I think that's awesome. I do hope we take advantage of it and that we go and get it done. So that's, I'm glad to see everybody here. That may make them also, since uh, CDC, the Mississippi State Department of Health is here, that may make us know it's really serious and that we can die. And uh, you know, a few months ago, they tested every person in resident uh, nursing homes, and those numbers dropped. Um, and, you know, and I guess they're hopeful that if they test everybody here, they can see those numbers drop as well. Yeah, but I think that'll make a big and lasting impression because testing is the key. And wearing masks, from what we've heard in the news and what we've heard other doctors say, if we see, keep our face covered and social distancing, then we will see our numbers dip going down as we are now. So I think so. So are you going to go get tested today? Or do uh, you, you encourage other people? To- I encourage other people to get tested. And you know, I'm, I may be a, a procrastinator. I'm waiting on the symptoms since I've had them. I think I'm in wonderful shape. And I'm staying my distance and I'm wearing my mask. And on our jobs, we do likewise. And we're sanitizing everything we work with, everything we drive. We're staying in our own vehicles, our own uh, pieces of machines. And we're, we're, you, you don't see us sanitizing and spray down with Clorox and everything. So I think with, with the people that I work with on a daily basis, we're okay. So far, so good. But one day at a time because nobody knows what they're going to bring. So we look at our situations every day in a different eye. Deborah Mabry is a Holmes County supervisor. Around 900 people in Holmes County have tested positive for the virus. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.